to read a passage of scripture together, and uh, it comes from Luke chapter 2, and we're reading from verse 22 to 38, which is fortunate because our song pro that we put the uh, words of the Bible on the screen doesn't have the rest of the chapter on it at all. You fudged it. Okay. Anyway, we're going to stop at 38, so... uh, Jesus presented in the temple. Oh, no, let's start from 21. Can we? Oh, yeah, you are. Thanks, Lorna. You're more on the ball than I am. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. And when the time came for purification rites, Uh, Required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and he said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. And we'll stop there. Sorry, I was going to go sailing on, but we're going to stop now. <coughs> Should we pray? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the scriptures. We thank you for the joy of having them in our hands. We do pray for those who don't have them, 
And we pray, Lord, that that work of Bible translation will increase and increase. That everyone who wants to have your amazing word in their hands can have. We pray for that. And help us never to become so accustomed that we take it for granted. But would you bless us as we share thoughts about this passage that we've just read together. Would you speak by your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Christmas is wonderful. And one of the highlights of Christmas is the nativity service. And if I was to ask you to imagine the nativity scene right now, if you closed your eyes and imagined the nativity scene, go on then, Let's, should we do it? Okay, you can open your eyes again. I don't know how many of you had a stable in it. Maybe the odd donkey. Maybe you had an inn and an innkeeper in the background, kind of saying, round the back. I hope you'd have had a manger somewhere there, a feeding trough, an animal feeding trough, and maybe to the forefront. And then you'd have had Mary and Joseph, baby Jesus, of course. And maybe to one side in your imagining, you'd have had the assorted shepherds and sheep. And then to the other side, you may have had the wise men, the magi, the kings, a couple of camels, and the gifts that they brought. And above the stable, you may have had the bright shining star, and a few angels. Why not? While we're at it, we'll have a few angels. And then, Enter stage left, the baddie. And you may be thinking, that's Herod. No, it's New Testament scholars. Because if you read the actual sort of commentaries and uh, works that have been written about the nativity story, we have painted a picture which is beautiful but not probably the most accurate in our nativity plays. Not that we'd want to change them at all, because they are a delight. Spoiler alert, it probably was not a stable. There was no inn, an innkeeper. Mary and Joseph probably would have stayed with relatives. That's why Joseph would have gone there. But yes, it's true that... Uh, Mary gave birth to Jesus and laid him in a manger. That is absolutely true. And homes in Bethlehem at that time may have had um, a place where the family would have stayed, but you wouldn't have given birth with the family all around. You would have gone into another part, maybe the part where they brought the animals in at night. And whether that was a cave or, or a very sort of rustic dwelling, it was probably more like that. And the shepherds did come, that's for sure, but they wouldn't have been there at the same time as the Magi. They didn't coincide. In fact, the Magi are thought to have come anything in between two years. 
because that's why Herod orders the death of all the baby boys under two years of age. And it does say in the Bible, when the Magi come, they come and visit Mary and Joseph in the house because it's moved on. It's not the manger anymore in that. And the bits that we don't often read of the nativity stories, the story of the early life of Jesus are the ones we've read tonight. They don't kind of fit in with that kind of you know, carols by candlelight. Let's uh, read a bit about the circumcision of Jesus. <laughs> but tonight we're going to look at that final part of the birth narratives as described in Luke's gospel. And we can be fairly certain of the circumstances in which Luke learned of these events, the details of these events, because you'll know that Luke wasn't one of the original disciples. Luke came very much later. You can read through the Acts of the Apostles when Luke joins the team because he describes as Paul did this and Paul did that and Barnabas did this and Barnabas did that. And then there comes a point in Acts where he says, and we did this and we traveled there. When Paul has that vision of the Macedonian saying, come over and help us, that's when Luke, Dr. Luke, joins the team. And he became really good friends with Paul. And he probably would have gone to Jerusalem with Paul. And you read about that in Acts chapter 21. And while there, Paul is arrested and imprisoned. And it seems most likely that Luke would have stayed around the area of Palestine for those two years. And during that period, he would have gathered the material for his his books, and he wrote that we know too, gospel, where he sets out deliberately to write an account of the life and the words and the works of Jesus, and then he writes the sequel, Acts of the Apostles, or Acts of the Holy Spirit, as we prefer to call it. But behind the early chapters of his gospel, there must have been, there must have been a long conversation with Mary because of the details that he uncovers. These chapters contain those things which only Mary would have known. Things that, verse 19 in chapter 2 says, Mary treasured up and pondered in her heart. And why doesn't Luke include them all? We don't know. But we're going to look briefly at those things that he does include. We're not sure of the exact chronology of the events that Matthew and Luke include in their narratives. But certainly it seems clear to me that the events that we read about tonight took place before the Magi came. The first event is when Jesus is eight days old. Eight days old. And Luke says, on the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus. The name the angel had given him before he was conceived. 
So when Jesus was eight days old, he was taken and he was circumcised in accordance with the Jewish law from Genesis, right back from Genesis chapter 17, verse 12. And as Paul says later on in his writings, as he reminds us that Jesus was born under the law to redeem those under the law. Galatians 4, verse 4. It's interesting that Luke puts no emphasis on the actual circumcision. Maybe he spent a long time around Paul already by the time he writes his gospel. In fact, he doesn't explicitly say that it took place. It's implied, isn't it? Assumed. But Luke places his emphasis in that passage upon the naming of the child, Jesus. Have you ever wondered about that? Wonder what Jesus was called before he was called Jesus? Or was he always called Jesus? Did the Father call him Jesus? Did the Holy Spirit call him Jesus? Or was it the Father saying, my son? Probably. Hmm. Jesus is a Greek form of a Hebrew name, Joshua. Or Yeshua, but it has just the most wonderful meaning. It means God saves, Yahweh saves, Savior. And it was a name given not by Mary or Joseph. We're told that the angel Gabriel, when he appeared to Mary, said, You are to call this child Jesus. And just to make sure of it, an angel, I'm still convinced it's Gabriel, but we're not told, appeared to Joseph and assured him that it was okay to take Mary as his wife because the child conceived in her was of the Holy Spirit. And when the child is born, you are to name him Jesus. He is named from heaven. Jesus. Saviour of the world. That's what it means. We're also told that Mary and Joseph went to Jerusalem. We don't know if the circumcision took place in Jerusalem and the naming. That could have been done in any synagogue. But we are told that they do head to Jerusalem. This is amazing. King Herod in all his pomp in Jerusalem and Jesus comes to Jerusalem as a baby, just a few weeks old. Mary has to go there to perform the purification rites. A Jewish woman after birth would have had to go on and and perform purification rites and, and made a sacrifice. And we know that they were poor because their sacrifice was just a couple of pigeons. Other people would have brought a lamb. But Mary brings a couple of pigeons. But it's also the time where they present Jesus before the Lord to fulfill the law. By law, the firstborn son of a Jewish family was to be presented to God. That comes from Exodus chapter 13, verse 2, and Numbers chapter 3, verse 13, where the firstborn sons are consecrated to the Lord. 
and that the parents buy the child back. This is amazing to think about it. That Jesus, God himself, is presented to the Lord. And for five shekels, Joseph will redeem him. And that struck me as a wonderful picture of Jesus, God the Son, presented and bought back, redeemed by his adoptive father, Joseph, for five shekels. That's what it would have taken. So Jesus was redeemed by an adoptive father who loved him so that he, we, so that we could be redeemed by a heavenly father who loves us even more. What a beautiful picture. Now, while they were at the temple, they were met by two godly saints. And both these saints, these amazing, a man and a woman of God, recognize the significance of what is unfolding before their eyes. Because they see Jesus for who he really is. To anyone else who was in the temple courts at that time, it was just another family bringing another child, a mother doing the purification rites, father redeeming the child. But for Simeon and Anna, something really special is happening. Sadly, we don't know very much about Simeon, about his background, all that Luke tells us apart from his godliness. Simeon was righteous and devout, is that he lived in Jerusalem and that the Holy Spirit was on him. And that's key as well, isn't it? Because if, if you know, Holy Spirit hadn't yet been poured out on all people, all believers, but in the Old Testament, if you trace back, the Holy Spirit came upon individual people at particular times, at particular places to do certain things. But here is a man, and we, we, in my mind's eye, I imagine he's old, but we're not told that he's old. We imagine he's old, but he is filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was on him, and the day... That Mary and Joseph come and bring Jesus to the temple. The Holy Spirit moves Simeon into the temple courts. Have you ever been felt that you've been moved by the Holy Spirit to go somewhere, to meet someone? It's that kind of thing. He does it, doesn't he? Holy Spirit does that. And Simeon is moved into the temple courts just as Mary and Joseph bring Jesus. The other detail that Luke tells us about Simeon is that he is waiting for the consolation of Israel. I read lots of stuff about the consolation of Israel, but boiling it all down, I think Simeon was looking for the day when God's salvation would come. When the Savior would come. When God would step in. And in fact, he had received a revelation from the Holy Spirit that he would not die until he had seen the Messiah. 
the Christ, the Savior. And Simeon lived with that. And then there's this beautiful, beautiful image that Luke paints. You see, Simeon didn't just notice Jesus. Simeon didn't just recognize Jesus and feel by the Holy Spirit, that's the one. But he took him in his arms and held him. Imagine that for a moment. You're holding Jesus in your arms. And Luke does something really interesting here. Because the Greek words that Luke uses for holding in his arms mean receive him. Simeon receives Jesus. And I truly believe with all my heart, not only does he receive the baby in his arms, but he receives Jesus. He has lived to see him. He has lived to see the day when Jesus comes. So not only does he recognize Jesus, not only does he receive him into his arms, but he receives the Savior himself. Simeon is full of faith. And he breaks out into this beautiful song of praise to God. And um, it kind of has that echo of, of Mary's Magnificat and Zechariah's song as well, if you read through those. This is a short song. And uh, you can sum it up in this. Verse 1, I can go in peace now. His second verse, I've seen your salvation, God. Third verse, this salvation is for the whole world. What a remarkable thing. Simeon sees in Jesus the savior of the whole world. He's not just come for the Jews. The whole world. This baby in his arms. Amazing. And Jesus, you know, probably gurgled. I don't know. Whatever. I don't. He hadn't done anything. But Simeon knows. By the Holy Spirit, this is God. This is the Savior of the world. And Simeon knows that because of Jesus... The world has changed, everything has changed, and his presence is enough. I can go in peace now. I can die in peace now. I've seen Jesus. That has a, such a profound truth in it. You can die in peace. Because you know Jesus. You can die in peace because you know Jesus. There's no fear in death. Because we know Jesus. And told Simeon blesses Mary and Joseph and then he speaks directly to Mary. Whether Joseph was overhearing or not, we're not told, but, but Luke deliberately says he blesses Mary and Joseph, but he speaks to Mary. 
because he is going to prepare her for something. That she's got to steal herself for what is to come. Jesus is the light of the world, and the light has come, but not everyone will welcome the light that he brings. This child, says Simeon, is destined to cause the rising and fall of many. The rise and fall of many. And a sign that will be spoken against. Jesus is spoken against. Not just in his life here on earth, but he is still spoken against now. And he will reveal the hearts of many. Yes, Jesus will be for all. He's already said that. But it doesn't mean that he will be received by all. And then this really powerful phrase that he uses, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. How much Simeon knows, we, we don't know, but he knows something of God that he has to prepare Mary that a sword will pierce your own soul. This, we obviously, from the vantage point of the rest of Luke's story, we know means the cross. We means a tortuous journey for Mary as she follows her son Jesus to the cross. And the anguish of witnessing his crucifixion will be like having a great military sword thrust through her own soul. I'm sure Mary didn't understand what Simeon was talking about. But the time, by the time she shared with Luke the stories, she would have known. She would have understood. And that when she was tempted to think that God's plans had gone wildly astray, she would look back and take comfort of all the things she treasured and pondered in her heart. And that all that Jesus would go through in his final days was part of God's eternal plan. Imagine Mary, all the things that she was told around the birth of Jesus. And then we're told of another person who was in the temple at that time. We're told a little bit more of the background. This uh, lady was Anna, Greek form of the Hebrew name Hannah. And Luke says that she too meets Jesus there in the temple. She was a prophet. Which is quite remarkable too. That this woman is recognized as a prophet in the temple courts. She's the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. Asher was one of the ten northern tribes. It's not where she grew up. She came to minister in Jerusalem. 
She was married for seven years and then widowed. And the the translations are unclear here. Um, Our translation here says um, widowed until she was 84. Other translations say she was widowed for 84 years. What we are told is that she was very old. So she's either 103 if she married at 12, or maybe she's 84. But she's old. But we are told that she never left the temple. She was there day and night, praying and fasting. What a ministry to have. Praying and fasting. And she came up to them, but she doesn't address them, unlike Simeon. Simeon took Jesus in his arms and he spoke directly to Mary. Anna doesn't. She speaks to everyone else who is listening. She gives thanks to God and speaks about Jesus to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel, God's salvation, because she too recognizes in Jesus that God has come. He is the savior of the world. Be great to have that in the nativity story as well. Neither Simeon or Anna, well, we can't say this for certain, but we're we're assuming they didn't live to see Jesus grown up as a man. But what they saw was enough. It was enough. If God never blessed you again in your life, Would what you already have of Jesus be enough for you? It's enough. But he's so good to us. He is so good to us. These amazing folk, this man, this woman, are amazing examples to us of expectant faith. They catch a glimpse of Jesus and it is enough. And in Jesus they see the Messiah, the hope of the world. To see Jesus is to see God. And I'm sure if we're here tonight, we have, like Simeon, received Jesus. If, if you haven't, you can receive him tonight. But not just recognize who he is, but receive him into your heart and life. That he might be enthroned in our lives. Or to be like Anna, who must have been one of the first evangelists ever. Jesus is only a few weeks old and she's telling people about Jesus. And they also teach us to commit to God's timing in all things. That's sometimes frustrating for us. God's timing in things.
that they teach us a wonderful lesson when we've seen Jesus. When we have met him, it is enough. And nothing else is as important anymore. Everything gets put into perspective with Jesus in your life. And it's also a reminder, in case any of you are feeling a little older in the new year, as another year comes and goes, we're never too old for God to use us. These were two amazing people waiting and had the privilege of seeing Jesus. And we have had the privilege of meeting Jesus when we came to faith. And the greatest privilege of all still awaits us. We're going to see him and meet with him. Spend eternity with him. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for the Bible, the words that it contains.